Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Lord, we pray again that you would grant us the grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, to hear the word of warning that you speak to us by your watchmen. And as watchmen, we pray, O Lord, that you would come through for us, that our hope would not be in vain, and that we would look to you always as a watchman looks to the morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you all expect that yesterday's festivities are supposed to result in a marked improvement in my preaching. (laughs) But if so, I aim to disappoint you this morning. I do plan to be a little shorter this morning than usual, so perhaps some of you take that as a sure sign of the Lord's blessing on my ministry. (laughs) We'll be in Ezekiel this morning. Ezekiel, if you want to open your text to Ezekiel 33, that would be great. We'll be in Ezekiel because God can't just arrange to have my ordination the day before the lectionary has us read Ezekiel 33 and then not expect me to preach about the role of the watchman among the people of God. Now, Hearing that, some of you may think, oh boy, it's day two and Zach thinks he's Ezekiel now. (laughs) So which, fair point. But I don't think it's misplaced to take this passage in the prophet Ezekiel and then to harvest from it some observations about the relationship between God and his people, the church, and the role of the watchman in that people. And it was certainly there in the ordination service last night Thank you again to those of you who are able to attend and who have prayed for me. Um, It was there in the service. I heard it. Bishop Frank was sitting there, and I was standing there, and I heard him say it, even though like 50% of my mental energy was like, don't pass out, don't don't lock your knees, don't pass out. I was able to still hear him say, I exhort you now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to be a messenger, a watchman, and a steward of the Lord. You are to teach, to warn to feed and to provide for the Lord's family. So it's there. Priests are called to be watchmen in the church. And here this morning we have the classic watchman passage from Ezekiel. So let's talk about Ezekiel. Now picking your favorite prophet is only slightly easier than picking a favorite child. But given that Aaron and I named one of our children Virgil Ezekiel Clemens, you can probably guess who one of our favorite prophets is. And I'm not saying that Virgil's our favorite child in saying that. Just to... (laughs) Just to clarify. But Ezekiel, I love him. He was this humble priest who is then made into this wild-eyed prophet poet. He has these incomprehensible visions of nothing less than the glory chariot of God. He swallows a bitter scroll and the words are sweet on his lips. He teleports at various times in the book, so that's weird. He's told to proclaim the word of God and then immediately told to shut his mouth and not say anything. He's given these bizarre object lessons that he's supposed to perform for the house of Israel. So he like builds a little model and swats it with a pan. He has to lay on his left side and then his right side for days and weeks and and maybe even a year at a time. He's told to cut off all of his hair and then to chop it up with a sword, but then burn some of it and then keep some of it in his like jacket pocket. At one point he's told to cook his food over human dung and then he negotiates that down to animal dung. (laughs) So he has to do some weird stuff. And like most of the prophets, he has this extremely difficult row to hoe. 
He has a hard task. Why is it so difficult? Why does he have such a bizarre and troubling life? It's because God's people, to whom he has sent, are becoming, morally speaking, senseless. They're hard of hearing, and their vision grows dim. Now remember that Yahweh, God, our God, the triune God, he's chosen this people, Israel, for his own possession. He's chosen them to shower with his love and his blessing. He enters into a covenant, like a marriage with them. And the covenant's clear. Yahweh wants the people's obedience, and even more than that, he wants their heart. That's all over Deuteronomy and the prophets. But Israel as a whole, and now Judah specifically, they have given neither obedience nor their hearts. And in fact, they've taken their hearts and they have given them quite profligately, quite freely to every king, every nation, any god who can offer them even a little bit of advantage or a little bit of prosperity. And they've betrayed Yahweh, their beloved. And so they have sown the wind and they will soon reap the whirlwind of judgment. And if the shape of Judah's story sounds familiar, and I hope it does, it's because it's your story too, and mine, that the Father has set his affection upon you, and upon me, and he's cleared the way for us to love and to follow him, but we love to give our hearts away to useless idols. And yet Yahweh, our God, does not let Judah wallow in its filth, does not allow the whirlwind simply to sweep them away. Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, compassion, and despite what many think, perhaps even what we think at times, God has said that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so our God, with incessant, obsessive commitment, he uses every means at his disposal to persuade the people to repent, to avoid the judgment and the death that is coming to them. He shouts, he draws large and startling figures. And our God, he's not squeamish like we so often are. He's ready to use hard things. He's ready to use hunger and disease and strife and warfare to warn his people that there is a death that's coming that's far worse than any of those warning things. Our God is the surgeon who's not afraid to make a painful cut to save the life of the patient. But before he does any of those things, before he sends disease or famine or foes or strife or warfare, before he does that, he warns his people. He warns and he warns and he warns. He sends his word and he does that by his prophets. And so here in Ezekiel, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel the prophet in the land of Babylon. And I have to get in the weeds of the story for just a second, if you will bear with me, because the context is important. Babylon at this time is Yahweh's chosen instrument of discipline. Babylon is, is the means by which God is disciplining his people to turn them to repentance. And so Babylon under King Nabopolassar and then his son King Nebuchadnezzar, they're toying with Jerusalem. This is around the year 605 BC and they start taking exiles. They, they defeat Jerusalem and they take exiles away. And that first group of exiles is the group that Daniel's a part of, the prophet Daniel. And then a few years later, they come back, and, and they take more money, and they take more exiles, King Nebuchadnezzar does. And this time, he takes the cream of the crop of Jerusalem. 
he goes into the royal courts and the temple, and he takes the, the best of the best, the leaders, and he says, you're mine now, and he takes them away into Babylon. So Jerusalem is left without its ruling class, is left without its leaders. They belong to Babylon now. And this second group is the group that Ezekiel's a part of, that he's taken with. So for now, Jerusalem is still standing, but there's already been a couple groups of exiles taken. There's more judgment to come for Jerusalem. The city is actually going to be destroyed in about 10 years from when Ezekiel is taken. But Ezekiel is taken with these exiles, and they're in a desert place. And it's there that Yahweh speaks to Ezekiel and sets him up as a watchman, gives him a word to speak to this group of exiles. Now chapter 33, where we are, is not the first time that Ezekiel is told, hey, you are a watchman. The first time actually comes all the way at the beginning of his call in Ezekiel 3. And the call sounds pretty much the same. Yahweh says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And this has been Ezekiel's role from the beginning. He was supposed to teach this group of exiles out in the deserts of Babylon that the judgments of the Lord are just. They've experienced it firsthand. They're far away from their home. They know some of the judgment of the Lord, but they need to be taught. They need to hear that God's judgment upon them and upon all of Israel is because of their sin. It's because they've given their heart away. They need to repent and turn back to the Lord. The source of their banishment is their own rebellious, adulterous hearts. They need to repent. And now it's here in Ezekiel 33. This is about a decade later. And it's time for Jerusalem finally to be destroyed. Babylon is coming in power. They're going to raise the city to the ground. Raise the city. That's the the Z one. Okay, they're going to raise the city to the ground. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to eliminate the the central place where God has met his people. And these exiles are going to hear about that. They're going to hear that God has destroyed his city. And they need to not lose absolute hope at that moment. They need to be reminded they still need to repent. God's judgments are still just. And so Yahweh says, talk to them and tell them these, there's some possible scenarios that are going to happen. Tell them the story of the watchman. So our passage starts with Ezekiel speaking to the people. Here's, here's a hypothetical scenario. There's danger on the horizon, and there's a watchman who's called. And, and as I thought about the watchman's warning this week, I kept thinking of the end of Bob Dylan's song, All, Around the, All Along the Watchtower. Um, the last stanza goes, All along the watchtower, princes kept the view, while all the women came and went, barefoot, servant, barefoot servants too. Outside, in the distance, a wild cat did growl. Two riders were approaching, and the wind began to howl. There's that vivid scene at the end of the Dylan song. And just incidentally, this is tangential. There's times where I really wish you could have background music to parts of, like, a sermon. <laughs> because Jimi Hendrix has a cover of All, Around the Wa- All Along the Watchtower, which would just sound so good in the background of parts of this. But anyway, in Dylan's song, you get these deeply evocative images. There's a wild cat growling. There's two riders approaching. The wind is beginning to howl. The city is in danger imminent danger, and that danger is not the watchman's fault, but it's now very much his responsibility. He can blow the horn, or he can fail to blow the horn. And if he fails, then the blood of the city is on his hands. He will bear responsibility for their deaths. 
But even if he blows the horn, there's still two possible scenarios. In the good scenario, he blows his horn and the people listen. And they stir up the guard and they flee and everyone's life is saved. But even if the watchman hears the word, sees the danger, blows the horn, there's no guarantee that his horn is going to be heeded by the people. Watchmen can be ignored. Dangers can be disregarded. Sin can be cherished. Now, Ezekiel speaks this hypothetical scenario to the people, and they've probably experienced something like it themselves, but then Yahweh takes the hypothetical and makes it very personal. He says, so you, son of man, you, Ezekiel, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. This is what's actually happening. God is actually appointing a watchman for this people. And the watchman that he chooses is maybe not the one that the people would have chosen for themselves. And the word of warning that the watchman has to speak is definitely not a word that people like to hear. It's a message of judgment. Oh, wicked one, the message goes. You're going to die in your wickedness. That's two messages people don't generally like to hear, actually. Right? The first one being, you are wicked. And the second one being, your wickedness is going to lead to your death. And it's at this point that we have to talk about the church. God's people need watchmen. Just as much as Israel's exiles needed to be warned of the destruction that would shortly attend their disobedience if they did not repent, so Christ's church needs its warning system. God's people need watchmen. And priests are especially, if not exclusively, called to this task. As Father Ross preached last night, someone in the church needs to be talking about God and about eternal life and about sin and about salvation. I thought about doing a bit for this sermon where I like climbed up and stood here while I gave the sermon just to give like a visual object lesson to the watchman imagery, but I got worried about the chasuble tripping up my feet. And while a falling watchman is also like a great visual object lesson, it's not the one that we needed for this morning. But, it's, but one of my God-given responsibilities, and Father Michael's too, is to from time to time shout at you all, shout to you all, about fleeing from your sin and warning you about the wildcats and the wolves which would devour you and urging you to consider the fact that you are going to die and I am going to die, and God is going to judge us. Now, the watchman isn't called to be this perpetual promoter of panic. The watchman isn't a cable news anchor or a political influencer. He has a script from which he cannot divert, and that script is the word of God. And it's also worth saying that God's people don't just need watchmen. It's not the only job, right? The body of Christ is not all eyes. The city is not all watchmen. A city that's all watchmen is a city of surveillance and distrust. It's just a shell of a city. There's no internal nurturing life. There's no outward missional trajectory. The watchmen are necessary and they exist, but they exist for the sake of the people and for the life of the city. And, and one more thing to mention, the, the job of the watchmen belongs to the watchmen. It's their responsibility, but they're not the only one who can raise a warning. Right? You too, belonging to the city, are supposed to raise the occasional warning. In our gospel passage, Jesus gives us the, the guidelines for church discipline, and the rule he gives is basically the TSA rule. Like, if you see something, say something. If your brother or your sister sins, 
You're supposed to confront them. You're supposed to call them out. Now, you're supposed to do it in a certain order. You're not supposed to gossip. You're not supposed to delight in rebuking someone else. But you also don't let your brother or your sister's sin destroy them quietly. There is no love in avoiding conflict when conflict is what's called for. You're supposed to blow the horn. Because Christian and non-Christian alike, we need to hear the full counsel of the Word of God And the word of God comes to humanity first as bad news. It's terrible news. It's the worst news. We need to hear, even as Christians from time to time, that you are a sinner. Your heart is twisted. Your mind is darkened. Your inbent selfishness knows no bounds. You are a rebel against God, and rebellion against God means death. When you rebel against the Lord of life, you have put yourself in the camp of death in the service of death, and God's judgment is coming. We're all going to face it. Even the one who has been saved through faith and baptism is a sinner and is going to be tempted. Even the life of the Christian remains a life of continual repentance. And I'm not trying trying to say that the church is not on an utterly stable foundation, right? That's not the final word. We're going to get to the final word. But we need to hear from time to time that you are going to be assaulted by the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and at times you may actually follow through with them. You you remain a sinner in need of repentance, and you are going to die. That's not the final word, but we can't pull that punch. We have to feel it. And sometimes we really do feel it. By the time that Ezekiel is, is proclaiming this in Ezekiel 33, the people's problem is no longer that they don't recognize their sin. That used to be the problem. They used to just live and think, let us live, let us have fun, we're fine in God's eyes. They didn't recognize their sin, but now that's not the problem. They've experienced a little bit of warning. They've experienced a little bit of judgment, and they know they're sinners. And the problem now is that they know too well that they're sinners. The problem is that they've begun to encounter sin's deadly consequences, and their problem is despair. The people are petrified. They say, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? And perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you know, or maybe you've known for some time that the consequences of your sin are upon you. Your transgressions will soon be found out, or they will find you out. And when you think of your future, the only future you can imagine for yourself, if you can even imagine a future for yourself, is one of a slow rotting away. You are desperate for hope in life. You're losing hope of life. And if that's you, if that's Judah, if despair is your response to the word of warning, the watchman has another word for you. And that word is this, straight from the lips of God, as I live declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I delight that the wicked would turn from his way and live. So the Lord God calls you today, neither to despair nor towards a false comfort. It's true that your wickedness, my wickedness, my boundless selfishness, my hardness of heart, my enmity towards God, it will kill you. It it will absolutely kill you. Metaphorically, analogically, spiritually, and literally, it will kill you. But the God of everlasting mercy refuses to let guilt and shame and death have the last word. 
And he calls you and he calls me to repent, turn from your wicked way, and live. Renounce your secret sin, your treasured quiet vice. Repudiate your idols, break them into pieces, leave no quarter. Repent, turn away from your sin, and most importantly, turn to him. Because if you think that your sin is too great, or your despair too deep, or your death is too assured then the Lord Jesus who defeated death would like a word with you. The judgment of death, which I as a watchman must warn you about, that same death is the death that Christ Jesus has taken fully upon himself because God, in his grace and mercy, has promised forgiveness of sins to all who sincerely repent and turn to him. He will have mercy upon you. Surely he will have mercy upon you. He will pardon your sin. He will leave them all at the cross such that they are not with you anymore. Your sins do not exist when you leave them at the cross. And not only will he pardon your sin, he will deliver you from your sin. Maybe not all at once. It's going to take time. It's going to take some hard work of the Spirit. But he's not just going to forgive your sin. He's going to free you from it and lead you into life everlasting. So take him up on that word. God's people, the church, require watchmen. Christ will not abandon his people, not for a moment, and yet we have to realize real dangers abide. The wildcat growls. Two riders appear on the horizon. The wind is beginning to howl, and I, as one of your priests, have to blow the horn. I have to call you and call myself to re continual repentance. Repentance to turn away from your sin, and even more importantly, to cast yourself on the sure mercies of the living God. But now in closing, I want to I step outside of Ezekiel for a moment, but stick with his image. Because the, the image of the watchman shows up all over scripture. And I want to focus finally on one final sense in which all of us are watchmen. Not just the priests, but every single one of us. And it comes to us from Psalm 130. They're words that I, I think will be familiar to you. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Think of the life of a watchman. Think of the bitter cold of the night watch. Think of the blazing heat of midday. Think of the boredom of the watchman. Think of the responsibility laid upon their shoulders. Think of the anxiety of what would happen if they fail in their duty. Think of the rain coming down and cutting visibility so they can't see. Think of the strain on their eyes as they scan the horizon during the gray light of the late evening. Think of the loneliness settling in late at night, deep in the night watch as the rest of the city sleeps. Watchmen look for threats, it's true. Watchmen blow the horn, it's true. But watchmen also know Maybe better than anyone, the deep longing for relief. The deep longing and patient waiting to see just a glimmer of the morning. Watchmen know the sorrow of the night watch. They know the loneliness of the dark night of the soul. They know the straining on the eyes when you search for the horizon. When you search the horizon for just a hint of sunrise in your darkness. Watchmen wait desperately for the morning. And perhaps that is you in this season of your life. You're in the thick of the night watch. You're desperate 
for a lightning on the horizon. Perhaps that's all of us living in these bodies of death and in this veil of tears and waiting on the Lord's return. Looking, looking, the horizon, looking to the horizon for a single gleaming ray. So let me exhort you, one watchman to another, wait for the Lord, hope in his word, and keep watch. Do not lose heart, strain your eyes, because the dawning of the light of Christ's return is coming. It will bend finally over the horizon, and the Lamb will be the radiance of our city. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O church, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with the Lord there is plenteous redemption. And he will redeem his people from all of their iniquities. O church, hope in the Lord. Amen.